know, very rarely does just one Bible writer write about a specific subject. Most of the time, if you have some important idea or some important concept, unless it's, unless it's a specific issue, like maybe in the books of First and Second Corinthians when they're dealing with, with problems in a specific church. But if it's a general principle, very rarely does only one writer write about it. And that's, that's true about what we're going to talk about uh, over the next few weeks, studying the book of First Peter. If I were going to ask you what book of the Bible would you go to to learn about faithfulness in the face of trials, in the face of persecution, in the face of loss, you'd probably say the book of Revelation, right? I mean, that's, that's the most common book that people go to. But that's also a very difficult book to understand. I think if you, if you read the book of 1 Peter, and then you read the book of Revelation, you will, you will quickly realize that, number one, they're a lot more similar than we, than we give them credit for most of the time. And number two, the book of Revelation will, will give light to the book of 1 Peter and vice versa. And so that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at the book of 1 Peter and look at what's going on in these in these people's lives. What's going on in this time period when about 30 years before the revelation is ever written, about 40 years before you have major mass persecution on the part of the Romans, before Nero burns Rome and blames it on the Christians, before the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, before um, all of these other Roman... Caesars and Roman emperors come to power and start persecuting the church before all of that happens, 30 years before the persecution ever begins. Peter writes to these Christians in the book of First Peter and tells them much the same thing because even though they're not going through the, the tremendous persecution of the Romans, they're still having grief. They're still having trials because of their faith. We looked at this morning in the Bible class at Acts chapter 4 and 5. I mean, from the very foundation of Christianity, we have been countercultural. From the very foundation of the faith, people have not liked the fact that people try to follow Jesus for one reason or another. Either you have the people that want to go by the Old Testament in the, in the, in the book of uh, Acts, you see a lot of people that are wanting to go by the Old Testament. They've grown up going by the Old Testament. They've grown up in a society that is built around Moses and around the Old Testament law. And so they don't want to follow Jesus because they don't see that he's the Messiah. Or you get to the end of the book of Acts when Paul is in Rome. And people don't want to follow Jesus because they don't understand him. It, it, it's strange. You get to Acts 17 and Paul is looking around at all of these different temples and all of these different idols and they, they just didn't understand that there could be out there one specific God that is the ruler and creator of the universe and that came to earth and died and they just didn't understand. Well even today people people are the same way. Christians go through persecution today. Maybe it's not physical persecution although in places in the world we do have brothers and sisters that we're meeting today this morning. It may have been eight hours ago. Did you know where Wesley is in Tanzania? It is now about 7 o'clock at night. Sunday is over. They're at home eating dinner, doing whatever they do on a Sunday night. If you're like us, in our house, 
from, let's see, we get out at 2 o'clock from about 2.30 to about Monday morning. It's nap time. Um, but anyways, wh wherever they are all over the earth, there are Christians today somewhere that are scared to death to go to worship services. We have that. But, but you and I don't have that, right? We don't have to deal with physical persecution. If somebody wants to stop us from going to church, they'll try to talk us out of it or they'll try to give us another option. Very rarely in our society do you have people that are physically stopped from worshiping because of hatred of the faith. These Christians had that. They're not facing Roman persecution, but what they're facing is Jewish hatred of the faith. So what happens when you're tried like this? What happens when you go through grief? At this point, people have lost their lives for the faith. You have James in the book of Acts. You have many other Christians that lost their lives by stoning or by some other means of death because of their faith under the Jewish law and under the Jewish oversight. But you have people that have died. Just put yourself into that position, okay? You walk into services this morning for a good Sunday morning worship service where we get together and we sing and we laugh and before services, you're walking around, you're talking to people, and you're getting your kids settled in the pew or what have you. And then you realize that so-and-so, who's been a member of Warm Springs Road for 20 years, isn't here. Why, why aren't they here? They lost their lives yesterday because of their faith. I mean, just put yourself into that position, okay? That, that your brothers and sisters in the, in the church are dying because of their faith. I have a feeling the worship service the next Sunday is not going to be a jovial one, right? Well, that's what Peter's writing about here. So what I want to do is I want to open up and read chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Just read this section that we're going to talk about this morning, and then we'll go over it together as we study through it. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about this grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. All right, it's a long passage. We're not going to go over everything in this passage. But I want to talk about some things 
this morning because the, the fact of the matter is that even though we're not facing physical persecution, even though we're not in the society where it's very possible that someone may lose their life for their faith and we may have to have a worship service the next Sunday where we're missing so-and-so who's been here forever and that is a member of our family and now they're gone. Even though we're not in that society, we still face grief, we still face trials and so forth. We still face depression. And that's really what 1 Peter 1 is talking about. It's a depression for whatever reason. Now, Peter's writing about a depression caused by persecution. But there are many other ways that grief, that trials, can cause us to lose our faith, not just persecution. I mean, you and I know people that no longer believe in God, much less go to worship services, no longer believe in God because so-and-so and their family passed away. Why, why did God have to take them from me? Why, why, did, why did this have to happen to them? You know, the first thing that you, you learn when you're learning how to talk to people um, when, when loved ones have passed away is that you never question that statement. Why did God have to do this to me? Why did God have to take them from me? Because grief expresses itself sometimes in a lack of faith that the person doesn't really understand. There are people that lose their faith because of grief. A lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people will have grief and maybe ask questions like that. But there are some that lose it. There are some that because of trials of life, because of some kind of physical ailment, because of some kind of uh, tremendous hardship in their life for whatever reason question their faith to the point that they lose it because because they just don't know where to turn first Peter chapter 1 is that book this, this is where we look to to find true hope in fact first Peter chapter 1 even says that verse number 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and unperishing and undefiled and that does not fade away. Let's talk about those three words. He says that this hope that we have, this living hope, okay, is just as alive. The, the Bible says, Hebrews uh, says that the book, the Bible is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It means that this book is, is this book isn't alive. I mean, it's made from dead cows and dead trees. But, but the words in it have life. They, they give us hope. They give us life. And that's what Peter's saying. You see, we have a living hope. That it's not dead. We're not, we're not grieving over the loss of our hope. What we're doing is we're, we're trying to figure out how do we keep our faith in, in the, the shadow of grief or trial or something. And he says these three things. That we have this inheritance. That our hope brings about this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and that does not fade away. The first word there, imperishable, it, it means it is able to stand the test of time. Okay? I was watching a documentary this past week on uh, failed building experiments. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a riveting documentary. It's, it's like eating crackers in a desert. Anyways, I was watching this documentary on failed building experiments. And it, and it came across this one 
that I don't remember all of the statistics, but it was it was started in the 1400s, and it somehow it's off the coast of France, and it was they were trying to build this this fortress in the water. Okay, in the 1400s, which I mean, listen, the likelihood of that actually happening. Okay, anyways, we we can't even build buildings that last, much less underwater. Anyways, they're trying to build a building in water. You know that building's still there? They they didn't finish it. They figured out that, hang on, the entire country of France doesn't have enough money to build this building. It reminds you of the, the text where Jesus says that no man starts to build a tower without figuring out if he has the workers. Well, France did it. They started to build a tower and didn't realize that they didn't have the money and didn't have the workers and there was no way they were going to finish it. But anyways, they built it and it's still there. That's the kind of word for imperishable. It is still there. It will last the test of time. You've gone to castles. You've gone to St. Augustine. You've gone to places where you see buildings that were built five, six, seven hundred years ago. You go to Rome and you can see buildings that were built 2,000 years ago. You go to other places in, in Africa or in the Middle East, and you can see buildings that were built 5,000 years ago. Buildings that must have been built just after the flood of Noah. That's the word for imperishable. It means that it will not deteriorate. It's going to stand the test of time regardless of anything else. In fact, look at this. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the kings of the ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. The word immortal in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the one that's talking about God himself, is a word for imperishable. Wait a second. Paul tells Timothy that God himself is imperishable, that he is immortal, that it will last, that he will last forever throughout eternity. And yet Peter says that our hope is in an inheritance that is immortal. Are you trying to tell me, Peter and Paul, that Mary wasn't there at this point? Anyways, every time I say Peter and Paul, I can't stop thinking about Mary. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Anyways, are you trying to tell me, Peter and Paul, that, that what we're going to have in the, in the afterlife, what we're going to have in heaven is, is what God has? Yes, that's exactly it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're eternal. That's, there's a difference here, okay? Just follow me here. The word eternal means that you never had a beginning, right? A, a child comes up and asks you, where did God come from? Well, he didn't come from anywhere. He's just been. He's eternal. I know we can't wrap our minds around it, and a child definitely can't, but that's what it means. He's eternal. He never had a beginning, and he'll never have an end. But we're immortal. If we're Christians and have the faith and stay faithful throughout our lives, even in the face of grief, and we receive our inheritance, we have something that God has, immortality. It means that we will exist forever. We're not eternal. We've had a beginning. But we can be immortal. Romans chapter 1, verse 23, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. The Gentiles had a problem. They kept building statues to mortal man. But God is immortal. And Christians, who stand the test of time, have an inheritance that is also built in immortality. 
In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says it. So it is, verse number 42, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable is raised imperishable. The word imperishable there is immortality. If we stand the test of grief and trials, we have something that only God has, immortality. We have the inheritance of immortality. But then he goes on. He says that the, the hope, the, the inheritance is imperishable. But then he says unsoiled and undefiled. The word unsoiled there, or, or um, some translations may have a different word, but unsoiled means not dirty. It's not going to get dirty. It's pretty clear, right? I won't ask you to raise your hands because I'd be a little jealous, but, you know, yesterday was opening day. If you went hunting yesterday, you might have gotten something. Amanda got her first yesterday, right? Someone asked her, I don't see, you know, the, the, I guess the common thing, I'm not going to do this whenever I get my first deer, but... The common thing is that you take some blood and you put it on your face and it looks a little creepy. When you get, when you get in a battle, the likelihood of you coming out unsoiled is very little. And yet Peter says that our inheritance is unsoiled. That even though we go through this battle of life, I mean, Paul even says it. I fought the good fight at the end of 1 Timothy. He, he says that, that we battle not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in heavenly places. That we're fighting a, 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 a non-physical spiritual war with ourselves at times because of our traditions and because of the way that we've made ourselves to think over the years. But we're fighting a war. And Peter says that your inheritance is immortal but it's also never going to get, you're not going to have to have this battle anymore. After you receive the inheritance, you will not have to have the battle anymore. You'll be unsoiled. Hebrews chapter three, uh, 13, verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and the marriage bed undefiled. It's unsoiled. James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit or take care of the fatherless and the widows and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. See, we're fighting a battle trying to keep ourselves clean. The likelihood of that is very little. That's why we have continuous cleansing of the blood of Christ. But when we have our inheritance, we won't have to worry about fighting the battle anymore. Our inheritance is immortal. It is undefiled. It's unsoiled. It's never going to get dirty again. And then it's unwithering. It's, it's the word that means a plant. Uh, my, my birthday was last month. And my mom, very thoughtfully, um, I have this thing where if, in, if I plant and plant in my house or in my yard, not in my house, because then you have to dig a hole in the floor, and David would definitely not like that. Anyways, if you, if you dig a hole in your yard and you put a plant in it, I want that plant to somehow pay me back for giving it life. Okay, so like our bushes in our front yard are blueberry bushes because that way that plant can pay me back. If it's going to, if it's going to, listen, if I got to take care of that thing, it's going to pay me back. Okay, so my mom decided she was going to get me a peach tree. You know what happens when you don't water a peach tree? 
it sits on your desk, dead. It's upstairs right now because I forgot to take it home and forgot to water it, and it's still sitting there, and it's dead as a doornail. That's the word for unwithering or, or, or unfading. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And to the chief, and when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Blessed be the man who remains steadfast under child, child, trials, James 1. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to them who love him. We have, if we make it through, now keep in mind, we have to make it through. We'll talk about how to do that here in just a second. If we make it through, we have the hope, the promise. Listen, sometimes you tell your child that, you, that you're going to take them to Chuck E. Cheese or something. Yesterday I saw this woman that I know here in town, her, her son hacked the Chuck E. Cheese machine and left with like two giant boxes of Legos or something. It was ridiculous. She said, it's time to go. He had to apologize. We took it back. But anyways, you take your child to Chuck E. Cheese and you say, I, I promise that after this we're going to go to ice cream. And then your child commences to lose his ever-loving mind at Chuck E. Cheese. You're not going to take him to ice cream, right? Hopefully not. You're not going to take your child to a reward after they behave badly. But you promised, right? You see, the hope that God gives, it won't be taken back. Once we get there, once we get this hope, once we have the inheritance, there's no way. Because Paul says, or sorry, Peter says that it is unfading, that it's never going to wither, it's not going to get old, it, it's not going to get soiled because we're not going to be in battle anymore, and it's, and it's immortal. It's part of God. You see, our inheritance, our hope, is that we will be with him and that we will be one with him in eternity. Does that mean we're going to be gods ourselves? No. But we're going to have something that God only has. And we're going to be somewhere that only God can be. One famous preacher said this, Faith without trial is like a diamond uncut, the brilliance of which has never been seen. Listen. This, this grief that we're talking about, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, number 7, if you'll, you'll open up there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this, verse 6, you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This grief that we're talking about, this, these trials, this depression, as it were, this, this questioning of your faith, it's a good thing. It's a tremendously good thing. Because you see, without it, you don't know what you can make it through next time. Without trials, okay, uh, when, when someone says, you know what's problem with all of our children these days is that they're questioning the faith. Good, good. I want them to question the faith. But I want to be there to answer the questions when they have them. That's, our, that's, that's what's so important about having a church family that gathers around one another. It, questioning our faith is a good thing if we look to the right place for the answers. Because you see, this grief, this trial, this persecution, whatever they're going through and what we go through, it's the only way that we can have a tested faith 
that is more precious than gold or silver that perishes. Verse number seven. If you go through it, it just look through 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inward self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Okay, pause. I know we've gone over this before, but I just want to take a second and, and recognize what Paul says is light momentary affliction. Okay? Raise your hand if you've ever been stoned for your faith. No. Raise your hand if you've ever had to been let down out, out of a wall in a basket because someone was coming to kill you for your faith. No. Raise your hand if you've ever been shipwrecked on an island and bitten by a snake and then everybody thought you were gods because of your faith. No. Okay. Okay. Light momentary affliction. If Paul's able to say that, you better believe that that person unfriending us on Facebook is even less of a light momentary affliction. The, the king of grief for his faith. Okay, listen, Peter, uh, legend has it that Peter was, was crucified upside down because of his faith, because he, didn't, he, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. The likelihood of the Romans actually doing that, so I, I, I don't know if that actually happened, but legend has it that, that many of the apostles, in fact, all of the apostles died for their faith except one who lived his life on an island for a while and then went back to Ephesus and stayed there until he was a very old man. He died of old age at about 100 years old. That's John. But legend has it that the majority of the apostles died for their faith. During the, during the persecutions, the majority of Christians died for their faith in, in horrible, horrible ways. But none of them lived lives of grief and sorrow and depression like Paul did. And Paul says, even though our outward man is, renewed, is, is perishing, he's talking about the fact that his body isn't working anymore because he's been stoned and beaten and shipwrecked and he's exhausted and he's walked thousands of miles in order to preach the gospel. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day because this light affliction, which is but for a moment, which is momentary, this light momentary affliction which is his entire life is building for us an eternal glory everlasting immortal glory you see it's through grief it's through trials it's through questioning your faith that your faith can get stronger is it true that sometimes people lose their faith for that yes and I think that the reason for that is twofold number one they don't go to the right place for the answers number two it's very possible that the Christians aren't around them to answer the questions when they need them the most I want to be honest with you okay a few weeks ago I passed out the, the 2017 questionnaire that I do every year just to see and it helps me kind of plan my sermons and so forth for the next year and I don't know who wrote it I don't know I don't, I don't care to know who wrote it Someone said that the one thing that is holding us back as a congregation, as a church family, is knowing each other's weaknesses. Because we don't know when to be around. We don't know when someone's going to be struggling. Because we don't tell each other. 
I think the reason why people lose their faith in the, in the midst of trials or grief or depression or questioning their faith is because, number one, they don't go to the right answer. But let's not put all the blame on them. Maybe they don't know where to go. Maybe they, listen, if you've ever been depressed, you know, you don't think clearly when it happens. If you've ever been in the middle of questioning your faith to the point that you think maybe it's just worth it to just give up, you don't think clearly. Maybe it's, maybe it's because the Christians aren't there to gather around them and answer those questions and be there. But it's that grief, it's that, it's that trial that will produce a much stronger faith. You know why Paul was able to last? You know why in Philippians chapter 4 he says that whether I'm poor or rich, whether I have food or don't, whether I have clothes or don't, whether I have somewhere to live or don't, I don't care because I'm doing this for the glory of God. You know why he was able to do that? Because nothing was going to beat being beaten. Nothing was going to beat being stoned. Nothing was going to beat losing his entire family and all of his friends and his job and his religion and his, his place of living and, and his status in society and all of his money and, and everything. I mean, that's what Paul gave up for his faith. And he says this light affliction, this momentary setback, you see, it's without that faith that you can't, it's without that grief that you can't have that kind of faith. Someone said this week, I don't want anyone to ever have to go through grief. I have to disagree. You know what would be the best thing for American Christianity? I know this is not a politically correct thing to say. I know that this is not something that I want to happen necessarily, but... You know what would be the best thing for American churches of Christ? A real, honest-to-goodness persecution. Because it'll test us. And when we get through it, we'd be stronger than we are right now. I think the, the reason why we have problems in our faith, the reason why we see the churches of Christ shrinking over the world, is because we've had it pretty good for about a thousand years now. And we've become kind of soft. And Peter says that this grief, which is necessary, necessary, okay, the, that word means exactly what you think it means. Peter says that what you're going through is necessary so that your faith can be tested so that you can have the inheritance that is immortal and unsoiled and unfading. So that you can have what you need to make it through this life. Because remember, that 30 years after this, many of these Christians that read this book, many of the Christians that, they didn't have Bible class, but as it were, they, they went to worship on Sunday mornings and they sat in Bible classes and these young children grew up reading the words of Peter at worship services with their mom and dad and sitting beside them in worship and learning from 1 Peter. When they get John's revelation. They're going to say, well, we made it through it the first time. I bet we can make it through it again. And this may be harder, but I'll be okay. You see, it, it, that kind of faith is only produced through. It's only produced through grief. In fact, Peter says that it is the tested genuineness. The word tested there is, is used three other times in the New Testament. Number one, Luke chapter 14, verse 19. 
And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. It's the parable of the, the, the wedding feast, remember? And one person says, well, I bought five cows. I got to go examine them. Okay. You ever bought, you ever just kind of gone online and purchased five Ford F-150s and just never test drove, just purchased five of them? That's what he's doing. He said, listen, I bought five trucks. Um, I got to go make sure they run. Well, that's ridiculous, number one. But that's what the word examine is. I, have, I, I, I bought these without looking, and I need to examine them. I need to test them. I need to see if they can actually do what they do. And so if you follow the, the commercials, you have to dump like five tons of gravel in the back of your truck and pull a bulldozer, and that means that your truck is okay. At least that's what the Super Bowl ads tell you. Anyways, number two is Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern. The word discern there is the tested genuine. By testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is just knowing what's right. Wisdom is knowing what's right and knowing how to do it. Okay? That's what comes from tested genuineness of your faith. Wisdom. The knowledge of what is right. I know that Christ said I need to keep my mind pure, but I don't know how to do it. The, the joke was a few weeks ago that Lee has a problem with, with drivers. Yes, I do, because people in this city do not know how to drive, along with every other city on the face of the planet. It's not just Columbus. People in general just don't know how to drive. I think all, everyone needs to get off the road so that I can get to where I need to go. Anyways, the, the wisdom is I know, I know I need, I need to give, I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if they're having a bad day. I don't know why that person flying down the road beside me and cutting me off and getting over off of the exit it, I, I don't know if they're going to the ER because their, their loved one is dying. I don't. A few years ago, when we had the baby, the king, and he rolled off the table, I was that person. I was the person flying down the road that called 911 and said, tell every cop between here and the medical center to meet me at the medical center, and they give me my tickets there. I don't know what's going on with them. I know that I need to give them the benefit of the doubt. Wisdom is knowing how to do that and remembering to do that. And Paul says that do not be conformed to this world because by testing, by, by discerning what is right and wrong, by having the wisdom, you'll be able to not be conformed. You'll be able, as verse 2 says, to, to know what the will of God really is. And then the final time it's used is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight talking about the Lord's Supper, let a person examine himself, and so let him eat. You know, you have people that say, well, that means, there, there's two options. Either, either it means that you have to make sure that you're doing what's right by eating the cup, or eating the, eating the cup, not eating the cup, eating the bread and drinking the cup. Well, that's true, but it's much more than that. The discernment is, is my mind in the right place? my heart in the right place? Is my soul in the right place for me to take this Lord's Supper? 
Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat. Because a man that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning, not having the wisdom to know, yeah, I'm supposed to do this, but I can't do it this way. Uh, that means you can't have Big Macs and Coke on the Lord's Supper. Yes, but what it really means is you can't have crackers and grape juice and not be focusing on the Lord's death and still take the Lord's Supper. You see, that's the difference. You see, this word tested, it means examined. It means proven. It means having wisdom. It's by grief that we have wisdom. And it's by wisdom that we have salvation. And it's by salvation that we have eternal life, that we have immortality and the ability to not have to fight the fight of salvation anymore because we're going to be there. We're going to have it in our hands. Right now, every one of you that is a Christian, every one of you that's a member of the church has salvation in that you know it's coming. But you don't have it in your hand yet. It's, it's there and you see it and you hope for it and you know it's there and you know you're going to get it, but it's not yours yet. You're waiting until the time where it's handed to you and you can have it for all of eternity, immortality. You see, it's through grief that we have that kind of faith. But the fact is that we shy away from it. The fact is that we don't like it. And I understand. I'm, I'm right there with you. But we need to embrace it. You want to know how to have a stronger faith? Embrace it. Say, I, I, listen, this stinks. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. But when I do... I'm going to be better on the other side. When I do make it through this, my faith is going to be stronger than it ever has been. But the way to do it is you have to look to the right answers. What happens if these people that Peter's writing to, what happens if the people that, that John is writing to in the Revelation just say, well, you know, I've got this, Lord. I don't, I don't have to worry about you. I don't have to worry about your comfort. I, I know that other people do, but I'm stronger than that. You know what's going to happen? They're, they're not, they're not going to make it. We have to look to him for the answers. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. Um, and, and if you're willing to repent, for, repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ, and then you're willing to submit to baptism, baptism is the point at which you say, listen, I know I can't do this by myself. I need your help. And I don't understand how this is going to work, but I know that you're going to help me. It's the same way with grief. Grief, you don't have to be baptized to get through grief. You have to go to the scriptures. But in order to have the hope of salvation, in order to have it waiting for you, you have to do the same thing. You have to look at God and say, I, I can't do this by myself. If you're willing to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement. If you need anything else, if you need encouragement or prayers, or you just need somebody to talk to, please let us know while we stand and sing this song.